Welcome to the Interfaith Business Network podcast with your hosts, Brianne White and Angie Luol. In today's episode, Brianne and I will share our personal stories and perspectives about why we started this podcast and what's in store for the future of the Interfaith Business Network. Well, Angie, it's so great to finally be able to share our stories today, and I'm really excited to hear more about your journey and what brought you to where you are today with the Interfaith Business Network and what the future of that looks like. Yeah, thanks, Brianne. I'm excited for this conversation. Let's see where where it takes us. Why don't you start us off by telling us a little bit about you, what you're doing now, what's your faith identity, anything else that you want our listeners to know? Sure. So I am currently a business student at the Wharton School of Business, uh, working on an MBA, and I identify as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, often known as Mormon. What about you, Angie? Yeah. Oh, well, try to keep as brief as you did. That was awesome. So my name is Angie Luo. I don't currently identify as anything. Um, My faith journey has been windy, but I do identify, I guess, as spiritual, sometimes progressive Christian, sometimes secular humanist. And as a 2021 grad of the business program at Marshall, um, I'm currently working in my first business-related role after graduation. Um, So that's where I am at. Awesome. Thanks so much. And I think um, hopefully over the past uh, two seasons, guests have heard a little bit more about us and what we've done with starting the Interfaith Business Network and with starting this podcast. But I think it would be useful to share a little bit about um, a little bit more about where we're coming from and why we formed it. So I want to share a little bit about myself when I was accepted to Wharton. I looked at the clubs that they had available and clubs at Wharton are a really big deal. And I I looked through all, you know, nearly a hundred clubs and I saw that they didn't have an interfaith club. I'd been heavily invested in interfaith groups in Washington, DC, where I'd been living and in other cities and areas that I'd lived as well. And I knew the value that um, interfaith relationships could bring especially to a program as diverse as Wharton, where they're preparing future business leaders. And I thought without having discussions about religion and faith identity and how that affects people in the workplace and in the communities, we were really missing out. And so really back in March of 2020, I started having this idea of, you know, I want to form something at Wharton and I would love to expand it to other business schools. You know, I thought I can't be the only business school student out there thinking these things. And so once I got to Wharton, I worked hard to um, establish this club and to get it approved. And surprisingly, it wasn't approved when we first put it up um, to the approval board, which was made up of students. And I think they didn't realize or, or they didn't understand what the value of it was. And so when we were denied, I thought, you know, I've got to call in the big shots and I've got to talk to people who are in this space and see if I can get some strategy help from them. So I reached out to an old colleague of mine, Paul Lambert, who was working at the Religious Freedom and Business Foundation and talked to him a little bit about what he was doing and how to present the need for this to business school students to see how we could uh, make this club official and really get interest in it. And at that time, Angie, Paul connected me with you. He said that he was getting ready to do a a workshop with you. 
and with your uh, business program. And I thought, this is fantastic. This is exactly what I've been looking for. And so from East Coast to West Coast, we kind of synced up and we're able to start thinking about how are we going to make this, you know, what are we going to make this look like? How is this interfaith business network going to look and what are our goals and aims for it? So that's from my side. I'm curious to hear if I missed anything from your side and your perspective on, on how this was created. Yeah. Thanks, Brianne. I still think back fondly to our very first phone call together. I think it was late on a Friday for me, even later on a Friday for you on the East Coast, me on the West Coast. And I just remember hearing your story, hearing your background. Um, you didn't even mention this yet, but your work in the Middle East, if I'm not mistaken, I was so inspired, um, not only to realize like, I mean, how cool of a person you were, how involved you were with interfaith work, but also just so honored for Paul to have thought to connect you with me, um, just little me doing this initiative, tiny initiative at USC. Um, I guess from my perspective, the reason I was doing this work, um, so I was in the social entrepreneurship program at USC. Like I mentioned during my brief intro, my faith journey has been very windy, very convoluted, not linear. And so I haven't always known how I identified necessarily, but I have always known that I believed in in something, in the goodness of people. There's a there's a quote from Martin Luther King, I think, that the the moral arc of the universe bends toward justice. I I slaughtered that, but it's something along those lines. So for me, that is really what roots me and and my faith and the way that I show up in the world. And being in the, I guess with the lens that I approach social justice work, social impact work, I have always seen, yes, the the negative ways that religion has impacted society, but also the good ways in which it has impacted society. Thinking about Martin Luther King, for example, like, yes, back in the day, Christians used the Bible to justify slavery. But also, there was a time when Martin Luther King came around and you have like Nelson Mandela or Gandhi, right? These are religiously affiliated, inspired leaders who are able to make really good, positive change in the world. And for me, I started to notice in my program at USC that anytime that religion came up, immediately students didn't want to talk about it, didn't want to go there. And if you're thinking about making impact in the world, in business, you can't just pretend that religious identity or religion doesn't exist or doesn't play a role because it does. And so the reason back in, this was what, February, 2021, I think we first connected in October of 2020 um, when I was planning the initiative at USC. Um, So we called it the Religious and Racial Equity in the Workplace Training Series. And one of my biggest outcomes for it or desires for it was just to get students to a place where we felt okay talking about religion and why it matters that we are able to do so. Thank you so much, Angie. I think it's so interesting to hear from both of us how we were in very different spots, you know, both in business programs and seeing this need, but in very different places in California, in in Philadelphia. And I think it speaks to the, the fact that there are a lot of people out here looking for something like this, 
trying to create something like this at their business schools, in their workplaces. And I think what we have tried to do with the Interfaith Business Network and with this podcast is to really create a forum where people can connect with each other who are looking for resources, for avenues for discussion, for inspiration from other businesses, other business schools. And we're still in the very early stages of what we hope the the Interfaith Business Network will be. But it's been a really fun journey to be able to connect with so many people who are passionate about allowing everyone to bring their whole selves to work, to their whole selves to the classroom. And beyond that, beyond diversity and inclusion initiatives to create communities where people feel welcome and needed. And so I hope to see this work continue to grow. And if you are listening to this and and hoping to join in the work as well, no matter what stage you're at in the journey, whether you have a religious or faith background or not, if you want to create spaces where people feel welcome and included, please join us with the Interfaith Business Network. I'll also say, Brianne, like one thing that I have taken away from talking to the guests that we have on the podcast is that it's not just about even religious identity, but also just how do we create spaces that are safe and inclusive of belief, all beliefs, right? So I, I want to ask you this, and, and I'll share my my personal why as to why I think interfaith dialogue matters. Um, but for me, like, I really see those interfaith conversations. And what do I mean by that? I mean, people of different faith identities or secular identities being able to come together and talk about things that matter in the world to them personally, and not necessarily always agree on everything, um, but be able to still have conversations where we can agree to disagree and find a path forward. And so for me, I see this interfaith work starting in business school, starting you know, in business school classrooms, or starting in the workplace with your colleagues as a grand or plan of being able to just have conversations about our belief systems and why they're different. And in the United States, that translates into how do we have uh, conversations across political beliefs that are different so that we can still move our democracy forward. So Brianne, can you just tell me, like, when did you first get involved with interfaith work? What, um, What was that event in your life that inspired you? Um, And if you could talk a little bit about your work in the Middle East, I think our listeners would be just as interested in it as I was when I first first met you. Yeah, so I grew up most of my um, childhood and teen years in Utah. And like I said, I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It's the majority religion in Utah. Utah is well known for having lots of Mormons. And I grew up in a small town in Northern Utah, Um, not a huge amount of religious diversity there. Uh, Most people that I knew were uh, were also um, Mormons or members of my church, but I I was always interested in diversity on a broader level. And so when I went to undergrad, I went to Brigham Young University, also in Utah, also a Mormon school but had a lot of opportunities to go on some studies abroad and uh, do an internship in Washington, DC. So I was able to go 
on study abroad to Jerusalem. I studied Arabic. I minored in Arabic. And so I went on study abroad to Jordan. During my time as an undergraduate, I took some time off and I went on a mission for my church to Taiwan. And uh, then I worked um, as an intern with international military officers in Washington, D.C. So even though I came from this sort of small town in Utah, I had the opportunity during these formative college years to meet so many uh, people from so many places, right? Muslims and Jews and Christians in the Middle East, uh, Buddhists and Taoists, and many, many very secular people in Taiwan, um, and then working with military officers from all over the world, and uh, really exposed me to so many different ideas and uh, different backgrounds. And so then I went to graduate school and I spent a year in Jerusalem. And while I was there, I did an internship with a dialogue group. And the name of the dialogue group was the Interfaith Coordinating Council of Israel. And so they brought together Jews, Muslims, and Christians um, from Israeli and Palestinian backgrounds to come together, high school and college students, and discuss basically the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Although they, they approached it from a perspective of religion, it was all about the conflict of their day-to-day lives of these high school and college students. And many of the Israelis had never had a Palestinian friend. You know, they, they hadn't had this ability to dialogue with the other side. And I think they participated in a year dialogue program and it was very, very difficult. As you can imagine, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict is so complicated and these teenagers and college students weren't there to solve the conflict. They weren't there for negotiations or anything like that. They were there to learn how to live with people who were maybe had extremely different viewpoints than them and that were often viewed as their enemies. And so that work um, really sort of started off my uh, heavy involvement with interfaith work. And when I came back to the States from um, Jerusalem, I finished a year of grad, my final year of graduate school in Ohio. And I was involved with a non-denominational Christian graduate group there, or I guess multi-denominational Christian graduate group, and was in a Bible study with people from many different Christian denominations. And it was one of the greatest experiences of my life. And I, I think perhaps coming from a religion that is often not viewed as Christian by Christians, although we think of ourselves as Christian, I think I was sort of an outsider, but I was treated very much as an equal in studying the Bible and having friendships and relationships. And it showed me how much really having these relationships and friendships with people can bridge divides that might exist in sort of in the broader culture. And then finally, I I moved to Washington, D.C., and the interfaith community in Washington, D.C. is just absolutely fantastic and um, really got some very close friends, especially I had some friends who were uh, Muslim and some other Christians, and we would often do an interfaith Ramadan um, iftar. And so once a year, for several years, we put on an interfaith Ramadan iftar and invited Christians and Muslims to come and break the fast together at the end of the day during Ramadan. And those relationships that I developed were so beautiful and, and really close friends, not just uh, colleagues or 
people who I knew in an interfaith context only, but some of my closest friends. And so with all of these experiences, I saw how having these sorts of conversations, even if they're just conversations, even if we're not trying to change things, if we don't have the ability to change things, they can actually start to change hearts and minds and communities. Thanks, Brianne, for sharing that. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you, or I guess have a similar experience as you, that the people that I met during Interfaith Club at USC as an undergrad are still some of my nearest and dearest friends. And I still find to this day that the people that I work on interfaith initiatives with tend to become the most just deep and meaningful relationships that I have because we we go to deep places when we talk about what we believe um, in a way that sometimes you don't always do with with about other topics, I guess. Yeah, I love that. I love that the idea that we're going to be discussing things that are so near and dear to our hearts, but are so different, somehow brings us closer, right? We're not, for, for me with these relationships, I'm not trying to get to a point where I agree to disagree with them. I'm trying to get to the point where I know them and love them, you know, and that changes the relationship when you want to be friends rather than just come to a negotiated settlement or, uh, you know, just tolerate each other, but really finding the beauty in diversity is, is such a inherent part of interfaith relationships. Yeah, totally. Um, what can you tell us about what interfaith club at Wharton looks like today and how does that also relate to, and maybe we can both speak about this after that, but the long-term vision for the interfaith business network from here. Yeah, well, before I skip to that, I want to hear also, how did you get involved with Interfaith and, um, you know, anything else you have to add about how these relationships have enriched your life? Oh, yeah. Thanks for asking. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I came to USC as an undergrad wanting absolutely nothing to do with religion. I was raised Catholic. Um, my mom is diagnosed with bipolar type 2 and growing up I associated every manic episode that she had with the church it was somehow always related to it was always religious spiritual in nature um I had an excellent mentor at USC who I met through um the interfaith club actually and I went to this six-week series where a different student on campus um, each week, a student of a different faith would just come and share, you know, this is what my faith is. This is what um, some of the practices that I have because of my faith. And this is why it matters to me. I remember going to these sessions and just writing down notes. And from every single faith, I was able to pull apart or take away something that really, really resonated with me. And so from there, I started going to interfaith club meetings weekly. And then from there, just got more involved. Um, so that by the time, you know, I graduated undergrad, came back to graduate school and just had this skill set of being able to have challenging conversations across lines of difference, um, across different belief systems and, and just being able to build those relationships. Um, I didn't realize how much of a, skill set it was until I got to grad school and realized that 
not everyone feels comfortable talking about certain things. Um, so that that's where I that's where I got started. My own my own doubts led me to find inner faith as my home. I love that, Angie. It reminds me of what Krister Stendhal, who was a Swedish theologian, called holy envy of looking at other religions and feeling uh, not a negative envy, but sort of this holy envy toward practices that you might have in, not have in your own faith, but that others do. And that, you know, being able to adopt some of those to lead you closer to, uh, to God or to the version of your best self, that it doesn't have to be, I only do what is in my own tradition. Um, and, and so just hearing your, your faith story, uh, your interfaith journey, made me think of that. Yeah, I love that, Brian. Holy envy. So now I'll get to the, the question you asked of, of what interfaith at Wharton looks like now. Um, and I'm going to say that, uh, like many things, I think that are, are great in the end, uh, started slow in the beginning. We're, we're still working on getting a lot of people involved and interested in having these kinds of conversations. A lot of people that I've talked to one-on-one about interfaith at Wharton, when I tell them what the purpose of the club is and of our activities, they're like, oh, that actually sounds really cool. They say like, you know, at first I just was like, oh, like I I don't have a faith background, you know, that's probably not for me, but being able to educate people about why we should have faith discussions, even if they aren't a person of faith or don't have a religious background, I think is one step in the right direction. And we've started having these conversations with faculty, with um, student life uh, staff, with, um, you know, admission staff and everything. And I think there's been a lot of eagerness to have these conversations in a place where they weren't had before, not because they weren't welcome, but I think everyone felt a little bit nervous that there wasn't a a place, you know, who was going to be the first one to bring this up. And I think Wharton is viewed as a very secular school and, so I think there wasn't really a, a platform to draw from of, oh, like we can easily talk about religion and business. So I'm excited looking forward to hopefully having a lot of uh, stakeholders who are willing to have these discussions to invite people to talk about faith and religion as part of people's identities, but also what that looks like in the workplace to make us better global leaders, global business leaders, and uh, better community members as well. And tell me what you're working on now and how uh, your interfaith journey plays a role. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I started a new role as sort of a triple role as an operations people and design associate at AC Design, which is a social strategy impact and design consulting firm. Um, and one of the hats that I wear is driving the culture forward at the company. So we're small, but growing quickly. And so how do we make sure that as we grow our culture, our values grow with us in a positive way, in a way that, um, everyone feels included and welcome. And so I think for me, having this background as part of the interfaith business network, or just as a general person who is involved with interfaith work. Like I'm always thinking about, for example, what are the policies that we can set at the company that makes people feel like all beliefs are welcome 
in the workplace. And so one thing that um, we're still figuring out internally, but where I was able to offer a little bit of expertise because of my background is setting a flex holiday policy. So for example, not just automatically giving everyone Christmas off, but having more flexibility in terms of acknowledging that there's other holidays happening at that same time. So being able to give your employees that flexibility of, you know, what what time do they actually want to take off? That's one one big example of how I'm using my, my training or yeah, my interfaith background in my current role. I think that's awesome. And it leads us into what our long-term vision for the Interfaith Business Network is. And what we've been doing over the past few months is reaching out to people in different businesses and different industries and getting interest, people signing up for our Slack channel. And I think the vision that I have is to really create a network where people can talk to other people who are doing this work who they might not have an opportunity to meet having mentors from the business world for business students in how this work plays out, uh, but also how to be more inclusive with all identities in the workplace. And if we can start these conversations for MBA students who are still in school and have mentors who are in the workplace to really help guide them on that journey, I think that will be key. Thanks so much, Brian. And just so our listeners know, um, for season three, our goal is to pass this podcast on to two new hosts. So keep an eye out for that. And uh, we're excited to connect with you. Go to interfaithbusinessnetwork.com. And if you want to join, we want you to join. Um, and yeah, thanks, Brianne, for, for a wonderful two seasons. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Interfaith Business Network podcast. Don't forget to hit subscribe and follow at InterfaithBiz on Twitter. That's Interfaith B-I-Z. You can also join our network on LinkedIn and Slack. Learn more at interfaithbusinessnetwork.com. Thank you also to Interfaith Youth Corps for funding this podcast. And to our friends at the Religious Freedom and Business Foundation and AI in Faith for their partnership and support. Until next time.